to the 101st episode of the Light Shed Podcast. We are here with Walter Pysik, Richard Greenfield, and myself, Brandon Ross. Is that David? Is that David Zaslov sitting behind me? <laughs> <laughs> he actually looks like him. <laughs> Not even close. David is very attractive from a di- from from a from a distance. It does. By the way, is this? Oh. Um. How's it going, everyone? Rich and I are in our fucking swag right now. Thank you, Anthony DiClemente, for sending us some Yellowstone goodies, even though in our last meeting, I was probably a little irreverent for your tastes. Um, he, also- he, sent, he sent these goodies to you because he wanted you to wear them on the podcast because I just checked my mail again and I didn't see anything in there. No, we we so where we the had, fuck's my swag? We had re- <laughs> we had requested them. Oh, because I'm a huge Yellowstone fan. A- as am I you not? Know. I'm not a contributor to the podcast. Is it because I call Yellowstone a boomer, um, a boomer show? I mean, that, that could why? play I, into it. It could I, play into it. Or, or the fact that the only thing I watch on Paramount Plus is Champions League because I can't find any other content there. Yellowstone like isn't Champions on League Paramount swag? Plus, bro. <laughs> it's on Peacock. 1883 oh, really? and the coming 1932. No, Champions on, no, no. Champions League's on Paramount Plus. You know, I just said me. Yellowstone isn't on oh. um, Paramount no, you're Plus. Right. You're right. Well, however, it is a brand new, like real franchise um, for what's Boomers. now called Paramount. Why? I actually take offense to that. Okay. Why? Why is it just boom? It's meant to offend. So, so. There you go. Okay. Well, I'm wearing. Do you guys like my my sweet new cowboy hat? I got another new one. I just I, I just want to ask a question on the finale of of Yellowstone. Who shot Jr.? Shut up, dude. It's it's not even funny. Yeah, it's it, funny. It, it, it it's a good show. But I'm wearing this hat is like very much like more 1883 hat. I got it in Dallas when I was down there for WrestleMania this past weekend. And I kind of had nothing to do Saturday morning. So I was like, I'm going to get a new cowboy hat. <laughs> Walt, are you going to get a new hat on your upcoming trip to Scotland? I'll get a little Scottish cap, perhaps. We'll what, see. A, what are those? I'm more of a like? visor person, as you know. But we'll yeah, see how it looks. We call visor. This needs to breathe. We call we'll visor people gross. I assume we'll be seeing some football while we're over there. Yes, Liverpool at Man City. I'll be in the away fans mixing it up. All right. Don't get, uh, you know, beaten. <laughs> Don't get hooliganed. <laughs> Don't get hooliganed. All right. Let's get to the first slide um, and kind of tie it to the intro music. Take it away, Richard. Well, it was sort of a red wedding for Warner Media execs this week because we finally have. I don't think the transaction, by the time you listen to this, the transaction may have closed, but sometime later today, Warner Media is going to transform into Warner Bros. Discovery. And we really had, you know, I guess it's Game of Thrones style, everyone at Warner Media essentially who had a similar role at Discovery. The Discovery execs took over. So, you know, we have up on the screen here, obviously, David Zaslov's taking over for Jason Kylar. You had um, JB Perret in the middle is taking over the streaming head, global streaming head. So Andy Forsall is gone from Warner Media. He's a former Hulu exec like Jason Kylar. 
The CTO is gone as well, who also came from Hulu originally. And then Bruce Campbell on the right, uh, who ran sort of distribution and revenue at Discovery, is taking that same role. So sort of the Tony Goncalves' role is what Bruce is taking over at Warner Media. So essentially everybody that that all of David Zaslav's key lieutenants are taking on key lieutenant roles at Discovery, sorry, at Warner Bros. Discovery. The only people sort of sticking around in sort of the senior Warner Media suite are people that Discovery didn't have. So head of the studio, um, Toby Emmerich, Channing Dunning, who ran um, Warner Brothers Television. Oh, so and Sarnoff is gone. Well, but they're sort of eliminating that role, I think, right? Like there's doesn't seem like that role is even going to exist. And Casey Bloys, uh, who ran um, HBO, is sticking and continuing to run HBO and HBO Max, although it's not clear how that works. I guess he's running content, not clear exactly how that interplays with what JB's doing running global streaming. I think we're hopefully going to learn more about how that sort of works over time. I mean, Rich, if we look at this, is this the the right choice for David to just put the people he feels most comfortable um, into place? Kind of the like Trumpish, Trumpish, these are the people that I trust versus those who actually have had demonstrable success in building a streaming business at HBO Max. You know, it's funny. I got asked that question yesterday by a bunch of people. Like, is this a mistake, essentially? Like, you know, you're taking the Hulu OG team, essentially, and replacing it for the Discovery team. And, you know, look, one way of looking at it, you could say this is going to be a massive disaster because you're taking seasoned executives and swapping them out for executives who had long careers, very good executives, but never have really had success in streaming. The other way of looking at it, and I really, you know, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Bruce and JB for a long time. The, the reality is they've never had the set of assets they have now, right? Like discovery assets, right? Like didn't David at one point recently, Brandon say, now it's a real company. Like they didn't really have the assets to compete. So to say that these very little experience, right? Building this, this type of platform and discovery yeah. plus was only out in the wild for a little bit. And Jason w- was there, you know, go and a lot of his team built both Hulu and HBO Max. It's so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, Rich, I know you guys highly respect the Time Warner team and as do many investors. And I heard that ad nauseum after AT&T bought it and oh, Stanky's doing this and doing that and like so, you know, this is so terrible for the culture. And then I look at you know, the Sprint T-Mobile quote-unquote merger where it was really just an acquisition. And I think one of the biggest mistakes was that they tried to integrate Sprint management team when they should have just basically cleared out that corporate culture altogether, shut down Kansas City and just continued on as T-Mobile. And, you know, look, while you may believe that the Warner people are the better thing, at the end of the day, Discovery is the buyer here. And he 100 in, in my view, 100%, like keep with what you believe in and the people you trust. And and maybe that's going to be the wrong decision, but there's I think there's value in that. Walt, what did you think of Sprint and their culture before they merged with Temis? And what did you think of Temis as a business and their culture before the merger? Well, I, as you know very well, this is a, a uh, what do they call these? A rhetorical question. Horrible culture at Sprint and great culture at T-Mobile. And now it's merged together and hurt the culture at T-Mobile. And, and I know what you're going to say here, which is, 
Yes, because which is exactly what I prefaced that statement on, which is, yes, I understand that you guys have a higher um, view towards the time with the Warner because I heard that during the, T, the the time that T owned it. But at the end of the day, guess what? The Warner guys aren't calling the fucking shots. Zaslav is. It was sold to Zaslav. So he calls a shot. So tough shit. Like and yes, he he could have he could have said like it's almost like an aqua hire where I'm going to adopt the culture that's at Warner. But like, what is it at Warner? Is the culture good or bad? Because I was told when it was at AT and T that oh, oh, the culture right. was so bad. So which no, is it? Take your no, pick. And look, you're, hopefully we're going to get hopefully we're going to get Zaslav on Lightshed Live this week to talk about the management structure. I don't think there's anything surprising in here. To Walt's point, like this was totally expected by us that his team no, was going to take. Of over. course it was. I'm just questioning whether it was the right decision. Now, one thing that fell down under um, Jason's leadership was talent relationships and that sort of je ne sais quoi that needs to be there in order to have a Hollywood company. And, you know, David is probably much more, you know, in sync with the needs of the talent community, despite the fact that he ran discovery, which didn't rely on talent. So I, there needs to be a balance, right? You need the technical side of things and you need also the relationship side of things. I would have probably argued for more of a blending and getting Andy and Jason's expertise in there, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, mergers are never easy to integrate management teams and lots of egos. And, you know, the reality though is this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? Discovery shouldn't be here. How often does a company that owns 29% of the combined company get to literally take over? Like this is David, ta- literally Dave, you know, David taking over Goliath. Like that's what's happening here. And so we'll no see. No pun intended. Zaslav is super <laughs> aggressive. He's got nothing to lose. He shouldn't be here. There was no way this transaction ever should have happened on paper years ago. And so hopefully he'll be aggressive. Let's move on. So I want to stick with sort of the changes that happened that are tied to this. Um, obviously, Jason Kyler is out. He actually did an interview on Matt Baloney's podcast, and I want to just play a short clip where he talks about what he thinks Netflix needs to do to get to a billion subscribers. Let's listen. Hey, you get to a billion is not by continuing to charge a premium price uh, that's ad free. The way you get there is by, of course, having an ad free premium price version of your service but also offering a lower, more attractively priced option that's made possible with the presence of of thoughtfully executed advertising. That's something that Netflix has not been willing to do. We, of course, couldn't start it soon enough because we recognize that these things are all about people's household economics. And we want to make this service as affordable as possible to as many people on the planet. So we want to get to as many of the eight and a half billion people on this planet as possible. And I would argue we're doing a very good job getting there through our ad-free service and also our ad-supported service. Will Netflix have ads in three years? Yes. What do you think, Brandon? I think we've discussed this so many times on the podcast. <laughs> and there's, but the, I, but the, I think the, the Ben, ben Thompson, I know, wrote about it this week. And... I did not read it. Um, I, I just, the, the whole topic is something I've thought about in so much depth and we've discussed about so many times that I didn't think I needed his two cents. <laughs> um, well, no, but, but the interesting thing, Brandon, just to cut you off for one second on purpose, because sure. I want to stop you here is 
Ben oh, Thompson you're not you're not day. footnoting me, Rich. No, I'm cutting you <laughs> off. I'm, I'm actually cutting you off because on one day he wrote why Netflix should do ads. And then the next day he wrote the rebuttal piece, why Netflix shouldn't do ads. And he really didn't take a position. He basically just laid out both cases because I think yeah. there's lots of ways to see either side here. No, I mean, that's fine. And we've laid out both sides of it as well. And we could do it again. Netflix is real point of differentiation. And what their brand has been built around is ad-free streaming. Period. An all-you-can-eat buffet of ad-free streaming. They are differentiated in the marketplace in that that is what they offer and only what they offer. And on the ad side, it is unclear how much share they're going to be, they're going to get and how accretive it's going to be on a global basis. In the ad markets that are most robust, shall I say, they already have massive subscriber bases. I don't even know how much bigger the US subscriber base will get, even if they do offer advertising. So now you're talking about secondary and tertiary markets, which are not that robust for advertising. It is a very different situation than Disney, who has more limited content. In On Netflix, they have a brand identity and they have been very successful in building up enough content that it touches pretty much everyone that has a broadband connection in this country. It sounds like we need to get sending their brand identity was sending discs back and forth not long ago. So they, they do have the um, courage to make changes if it's, if it's required or meaningful for them. maybe it's not required and meaningful, but I don't, I don't, I agree with you. That is their brand and that's a big decision to make, but it's not like they haven't repositioned the brand in the past. Totally agree with that, Walt. They have. I think that they knew that DVDs were dying and they had always planned to become a streaming company. Um, On this side, I think it just comes down to dollars and cents at the end of the day. And again, in the largest markets, they have such high penetration that it's not even necessarily the case that it's going to be accretive. I think we need to get Jason Kylar and Brandon Ross on Lightshed Live for a little debate. I would love that. We've had Jason on before. I, I know. He was one so of our now, first Okay, guests. so now we want to have it, David again and Jason again. And if you're listening, here. guys, which you probably are. So um, will this be like, you're going to go after him like I was questioning mr rapino about their pricing strategy yes yes, yes. i think that's Dude, exactly friend what of the light shed. you are you're tough on michael and co that's who okay. I really but who i really want on light shed live is elon musk <laughs> <laughs> um we saw your tweets rich yeah it was like oh my god can anybody get me in touch with, with elon, elon musk yeah, just tweet at him which you did Elon, Elon has a massive event going on um, down in Texas. I, I need you guys. I know this is besides the point. What do you think of those trucks? But yeah, they're good. I mean, I don't know. I think they're so them. whack looking. Yeah. I mean, did you see whack than the same generic car that looks every car looks the same? But no, so Elon, Rich, Rich had on the screen for our podcast listeners. And this is just reflective of Elon's ability to kind of laugh at himself. 
Um, he had, it, it was a meme that someone else had done about him showing him, you know, basically smoking some weed when he was on the Joe <laughs> Rogan uh, podcast. And yep. it said Twitter's next board meeting is going to be lit with him like smoking a cigar on that. In the in that's not a cigar. I don't think cigar. it's a cigar, Walt. That's not a well, cigar. It's it's what's it known a, as I mean, a, blunt. a blunt. Yeah, he's smoking a blunt. <laughs> um, well, I did say what he smoked first off, but thanks for the correction. Um, and the footnote. <laughs> did I footnote you again? That was a hundred percent condescending footnote. Anyway, no, it wasn't so Eli- a condescending footnote. By the way, j- with the footnoting, just for our audience. Lycha Adventures is out there now, and we're raising our second fund. So, in preparation for that, we, you know, got got a little, we got a little coaching on how we could better interact with each other. And one of the things that Brandon does the most is we all do is footnote others, and I've been working on it. So, um, I apologize, Walt, and I no, no try apology not to necessary. You it's anymore. part of our charm. So, uh, so Rich, on the next slide, I think we have one of the things oh, that I think. Well, no, but why don't we start off with? I mean, Elon joining Twitter is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, joining the Twitter board. I think that tweet. I want to come back to that tweet because I think that tweet's important because it shows how Elon not just sort of can sort of joke about himself, but it shows how Elon is a massive public figure. And um, you know, you think about what Trump meant to um to twitter if elon wants to who knows if he even tries to get trump back onto twitter but more importantly elon making twitter more visible who knows if he'll do twitter spaces like you know i could see so many ways that elon if he wants to support a nine plus percent position that he now has in the stock there's a lot of things elon could do to drive more, the stock more than he does now i mean he already aside from changing and getting a, a management team who is so slow in development. It's pathetic. Um, aside from that, like he is very visible on, on Twitter. And if anything, like the fact that it took Elon Musk <laughs> to, to everyone's talked about this edit button to like within a week of him becoming on the board to the C- the current CEO of the company saying that like, Oh yeah, you know, this is something you should pay attention to. Like, dude, what the fuck have you been doing? Like, why does it take Elon Musk by 9% of your stock to get you off your fucking ass and putting the edit button in, which people have been asking for. Well, like, what have you been doing? All, remember, this CEO is new. So like this CEO is oh, new. So maybe you could blame Jack. Too. So you should blame Jack. I think Jack, it's hard to blame this CEO. guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. So but you could blame a- Jack. I think it's hard to blame Parag when he just started. Okay. Well, I just Parag did. has been a part of the management team for a while. He was yeah. the CTO. Did he, was he hired right? as an outsider? I mean, yeah, like, but the he CTO, was the CTO does not set, but the CTO doesn't set tech strategy. So the CTO, really? Okay. I, I have a different view on what a CTO does. You just said the CTO doesn't set tech strategy. Yeah, like they're not picking which job. features. They're not figuring which products are rolling out. They're he making did, them He happen. did not run product. That is correct. Product. All right. Can we just back up here? Let's, let's think about what Elon being on the board is going to mean and the pressure that he now more formally is putting on them will mean. I think the first place we should start with is free speech and decentralization or potential decentralization and opening of the Twitter protocol and what that could mean. And this kind of goes back to the, the things that Meaning we how debated. the algorithm works. Well, let's let's start first with free speech. Okay. And the fact that Elon did talk about when Trump was kicked off, 
that it wasn't a good idea and that it was going to piss a lot of people off. And then he came back with other tweets about, you know, um, free speech and Twitter being the town square and should be representative of the free speech in the town square. Obviously, despite the fact that it, you know, is not a government owned entity, it is a private company or public company in this matter. Um, what do we, th- what impact do we think he's going to have on the censorship on the platform and how the platform is run? I mean, well, my gut, go ahead. Got, no, you go. No, no, no. I, I mean, want to see you two I, debate it. That's well, I think it's pretty, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that this CEO is the current CEO, depending on how long he lasts is soft and will get impacted by Elon very strong presence on the board and that you know they'll, they'll, it'll probably move in that direction where they'll add back people that were that were kicked off whoever they may be there's it's more than just trump yeah i also just think that you know there are probably i mean look the algorithm i think has been the single greatest driver you know between events and topics and the algorithm is sort of why twitter went from struggling if you think back, you know, go back, whatever, five or six years where they really had like no user growth, putting the algorithm in is why this has been successful. Now, the question is, are there better ways to do the algorithm? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll learn. Well, there definitely definitely are. But what but what you're doing is you're kind of migrating the conversation away from the issue at hand, which is censorship and whether Twitter should be allowed the fully free speech should be uh, of, uh, allowed on Twitter or it should be monitored in some way like a centralized platform is in either case Elon's pushing for that so you're going to see people that got kicked off I think get invited back on but we'll and, say and then the question is should they open up the Twitter algorithm and essentially allow others to build products on top of the protocol. What is, has Elon talked about that? Well, he, he put up a poll like two weeks ago asking if that should be, if the Twitter algorithm should be opened up. And then all of these things, which which, which for him typically is, is like your rhetorical question from earlier. Right. It's a a leading, it's a leading indicator. And obviously Twitter has, you know, Project Blue Sky, I don't know if it's kind of still in existence or to what extent it is. And then you have to think about what the impact on the platform in terms of engagement is going to be, and then also monetization. And if you open it up with more potentially, you know, dangerous speech on there, do, do advertisers object to that? Or, and is that offset by maybe the more popularity um, from the changes that Elon's going to make on the one hand. And then if they open it up and others are building products, is Twitter going to get paid on those products or is it going to be take away from revenue? I don't know the answer to these things. Well, so I'm had, kind were, of throwing it out. Were, for people, you guys. were people not advertising on Twitter when these controversial people were on them historically? And brand safety is kind of always an issue. Uh, answer the discussed. question. Were they or weren't they? I don't think they were. I don't remember there being <laughs> some massive boycott of advertising on Twitter. No, there wa- no but. Okay. So there you go. Okay. So you think it no effect, basically. I think it's, if you open things up, generally that's positive. <laughs> right. We'll say. 
What are your thoughts, Rich? Look, I, I just think, honestly, first of all, stirring the pot, putting pressure on product iteration, as Walt talked about. Yeah, it's great. Trying new things, having a vocal person. I mean, the board is actually pretty incredible. I mean, if you think about who's on this board yeah, in terms of like. It's a you know, sweet board. I mean, they've got an incredible group of executives now on this board. I think Twitter is actually in a very good position to innovate, call more attention to it. I, I like what Twitter's doing. I think this is going to be, I really think this is going to be good for Twitter. It's, especially, especially since you think Parag's going to have an open mind. Well, and we also complained, <laughs> of right? Of course like he is. <laughs> Clearly he is. And look, to give them to give them some props, Spaces, um, I think, has effectively killed Clubhouse. I mean, Spaces True, was meant for yeah. the tw- to be a Twitter feature. And I think there's a lot of potential in communities, which I think we talked about last week in terms of potential, how how you can pivot that to subscription. And they were the quickest to really integrate crypto into their platform with NFTs. They Uh, have it. They no, it's it's true. The NFT profile pictures. I mean, they're small, but they NFT still (laughs) exists. Shut up. I didn't know if that had folded down. Um, it's hard to think the, that the UPenn will... blockchain conference is going on right now, Rich. Lord. <laughs> is, is that better than that? The crypto conference in Miami where people are throwing orange pills into the audience. <laughs> and there was like a fuck you rich panel. Yeah. <laughs> um, the foot. Yeah. I should. Okay. Let's that. move on. We got Grammys. Um, n- nobody watched. I mean, ratings were up a hair. Why are we talking about it? (laughs) Well, so, right. Well, one, it's interesting that ratings went, you know, I I just look back. Ratings 10 years ago were 40 million viewers and now they're at nine. But let's forget about viewership. Who cares? It's just, it's funny how like there is literally no viewership for award shows anymore. But what was interesting was seeing the CEO, um, you know, of Roblox founder, sorry, I should say founder of Roblox showing up like Brandon, why is the founder of Roblox showing up at the Grammys with little Nas? Like, can I ask you a question, Rich? Sure. How do you pronounce that CEO of Roblox's name? Bazucky. Uh, okay. We, who we went had to the, a, right? who went to we the had Grammys. T- we, had the Grammys. T- <laughs> we had a tutoring session before this on, on yeah, pronunciation. He, he didn't it was like a Grammys, speech therapy though. session. <laughs> Grammys. It rhymes with okay. Grammys. Um, Lil Nas X was the first major concert on Roblox. We've talked a lot about Roblox really ingratiating themselves into the music world. Uh, Warner Music took a pretty big stake in Roblox and using music as sort of integrating music into everything that happens in the virtual world as it is in the real world. And that's going to be an opportunity for the labels, especially who want to reach younger demos and get paid for it. I'm pretty sure now, I think the Warner Music um, and Sony deals might be done with Roblox, um, but the Universal deal isn't. I'm not positive because there haven't been official announcements, but that's kind of the scuttlebutt at this point. And, it's like real um, world metaverse. Like this is actually metaverse. Like what Roblox is doing with music is sort of the most, some of the most tangible examples 
of what the metaverse is like interacting with musicians who are, you know, exist in the real world, but everyone participating, yeah. listening, watching. The opportunities go deeper than that, though, right? I mean, if you're if you go into an experience in Roblox, isn't it a little more interesting if there's music in the background? If you want to express yourself and your identity and you have an avatar, and I know this is a little bit out of favor now, but bear with me to have a music to be able to play music when you meet somebody in virtual space. That's an expression of your personality as well. You might also be able to have some more interesting clothing to express yourself. Yes, finally. Um, and this is a slide that shows the layered clothing uh, rolling out on Roblox, which is an opportunity in multiple regards. One is you have more real life looking avatars, which is a goal for Roblox. And then and it gives you or gives the platform more ways to monetize in terms of dressing up the avatar and better items to, to dress the avatar with. And we've talked about this before as well. Roblox is just going to continue to iterate on product. And as the product gets better, the experiences are going to get better, which is going to hopefully continue to drive in both engagement and new users. And everyone is very down on Roblox. The biggest problem with Roblox is twofold. One is the market changed, which meant multiples changed. And two is a little later than everyone else, they finally are hitting the sort of tough comps of reopening in the US. And that that is no tougher than the year over years in February and March. As we move into the springtime, I expect that the U.S. is going to go nicely positive again with international tailwinds and the stock will begin to work. Um, it's just sort of amazing that you partner. Know, no, it's just sort of interesting how, you know, it's it like it does make it more look a lot more lifelike. I mean, maybe we'll get a Yellowstone vest in Roblox soon. <laughs> So that we could dress Please, up. Please, no like more Brandon puffy Ross. vests. I mean, honestly, there's so many puffy vests. Everyone sends them out. Verizon sent one out. Now you got one for Yellowstone, and now we have to look at them on on uh, Roblox. Are we going to get one at the Dish hey, Analyst I, Day, though? I, by the way, I uh, I'm I usually don't wear these vests because it makes you look too much like either a VC bro or like you work at on the trading floor of BTIG or something. <laughs> But are, are, are we getting, what do you think we're getting at the dish analyst day? Well, what, what's going to be the, you're going to get well, rich. Everyone is just finally relieved that um, Ergen's finally sent out the, the invite for the analyst. So that isn't an event in itself because everyone's like stressing out because Vegas is a, not an easy place to fly in and out of. <laughs> they're stressing out because they all want to make sure they're going to Vegas in May more than anything else. More or less. Yeah. That's <laughs> Not because of the dish analyst thing. Um, and just getting, and getting their flights prepared. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on to LA after that. But but Rich, I think the other consternation aside from actually getting it on the calendar is like, will Dish drop some aggressive price price plan? Excuse me to disrupt the consumer wireless market in the U.S. I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I think look, they may have stuff later in the year, early next year, as they kind of build out more markets. I think this is hopefully going to put a little bit more meat on the bones, showing how Amazon, 
is in the process of disrupting the global telecom marketplace. And we've talked about this before on the podcast that, um, you know, if you open the ability to develop things as opposed to having to come to go to the, the limited number of global carriers, the limited number of telcos, that is what sparks innovation. So it's an important moment for the industry. And Dish is, is just one of, I think, what's going to be many partners for Amazon. So hopefully we get more color around that, um, but we'll see soon enough. What will you be wearing? I assume you won't be in a vest. What will be I be wearing, wearing last night's clothes? <laughs> last time I was in last time, last time. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> last oh, time now I was in, going right off the rails. Last time I was in Vegas, there was an EDM conference and there was some certainly some good outfits uh, coming of, of EDM festival goers coming back at like 7 a.m. So maybe I'll do that. I don't know. Make a statement for the firm. Are you going to get a day bed at Marquee again? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the weather looks like. All right. Um, on, to the, on to wrestling. Uh, talking about another analyst day. Yes. It was more of an analyst experience, Rich. It was an experience down so in got, Dallas. You, were you wrestling anyone? Well, as you know, they had promised to pile drive me or whatever it was on the, <laughs> on the last analyst call. earnings call. Yeah. On the, er, on the last earnings call. And what do you know? I show up to the dinner on the first night on Friday night. I get there and I see Nick and, you know, I go up to Nick, Nick for our podcast, Nick Khan, who is the president of WWE and go up, say hi to him. You know, he wanted to talk about whatever rights were out in the marketplace, getting pumped up, whatever. Um, we're having a nice conversation and in walks Vince McMahon. And, you know, I was scared because <laughs> that is a very Walt's doing the uh, I think that's a meme that Vince, meme that, the Vince that Vince walk, right? Walk in like that. Uh, he did not. He right. came in very subdued. I'd never wow. met Vince before in all the years covering the stock. Um, and so I don't know. I got very scared, though, because let me tell you, Vince may be 76 years old. But as you saw on Sunday night when he actually wrestled with Stone Cold, the dude is in very, very, very good shape. Strauss Zelnick was also there. We talked to him for a little bit at the at the. Did he take, part, a, did he take part, a shirt off? He didn't take his shirt off. But I said to myself, like, I I saw the two most ripped human beings of that age group that probably exist of that age group that probably exists on. I don't Earth. know, Brandon. Uh, Donald Trump's doctor said he's the most healthy human ever, or something like that. What was the report that he gave? I yeah. Well, that's a know. higher age group. Sorry, wrong, wrong age group. <laughs> anyway, um, Vince did say something like, "Do you want it here on the floor or on the table over there?" But he said that was, to you, yeah, which is which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Props to Vince. He stayed around for five minutes. Was very self conscious about his makeup. He had makeup on because he was doing the Hall of Fame introduction. It was caked on pretty thick. It, he kind of looked like a Madame Tussauds wax figure um, <laughs> for those five minutes. Now you're really going to get pile driven the next. No, no, I, mean, I know. I know. But we were really appreciative, appreciative um, of him being there. Okay, let's go to um, the actual slide so I could read it off. I think this one's from Brandon Thurston. 
And it says, for what it's worth, Paul Heyman in a promo on Raw just now said there was a 58% increase in WrestleMania viewership on Peacock from last year. Which is, that is a big number, first of all. Second of all, um, don't know the absolute though. The Saturday night was up against that Duke UNC game, which was a massive game, obviously. In fact, this is the best. Frank Riddick, who's now the CFO of WWE, went to Duke Business School, had two kids at Duke, and was from Louisiana. So obviously, you know, it must have been tough for him. And he was kind of like scrambling, um, looking for a TV. I will say this about WWE, though, and the dinner, like bottom line takeaway. Frank is a massive upgrade at CFO. I think they're going to do some really interesting things with the balance sheet. Maybe finally put a little bit of leverage on there, which in my view will enable buyback, maybe take the convert out. So some pretty positive things with Frank being CFO. And the content obviously was good. It garnered a pretty good audience given the tough comps. The... um. I think in cage side and Mark, I know you're listening. It got a very, very good rating for the first time in a while for a WrestleMania. So things kind of going in the right direction there. It sounded to me from just scuttlebutt around that the Peacock deal was actually a very good deal for NBC. They have been positively surprised by the numbers there. It sounds like there's a little more tepid enthusiasm on the raw SmackDown side of things. And that, I guess, also shows the bifurcation now between this regular season and the big events. And we see we saw that in the baseball rights deals. We've seen that in others. So it will be interesting to see um, kind of how things play out on the Raw SmackDown renewals. And Rich, I saw you were quoted in Alex Sherman's article about that this week. Yeah, let me pull it up. Hold on. Um, you know, because I think what's interesting here is there is this building question of should you license sports rights or try to buy the league? Now, obviously, with things like the NFL or the NBA, that's not possible. But if you think about, I mean, I certainly could make this case with WWE, like, you know, like if you really want to license it, like, why not just, you know, I mean, Vince is pretty old, like, why not make an offer and try to own WWE? But this is a story from back in 2016 that Disney supposedly, this is Bob Iger said no to a $4.3 billion acquisition uh, of UFC. Now they're going to spend, you know, an incredible amount of money. If you think about what they're going to spend on this renewal, they should have bought UFC, not been licensing UFC, because despite he thinking the content didn't fit in 2016, they came back and did a UFC deal a few years later at a huge amount. And now that huge amount is probably going to be up pretty dramatically. And so it just I don't know. I mean, I, I just think like this is the this should be the aha moment. Just like in streaming, you want, you know, general entertainment, you want to own your content, not license it from others. Like you want to own and control. That's been the whole story of streaming. Paramount taking back their content, Peacock taking back their content, Netflix making their own content. Why should it be any different in sports? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Brandon. Well, like in sports where you can actually own the league. Obviously, the four majors and soccer, you can't fully own the league, so that doesn't apply. The ones that you can 
are Formula One, UFC, and though it isn't exactly sports, it's you know sports entertainment. Um, WWE. Um, a couple of reactions to that. Uh, I'll get to exactly where we were, but also there. Look at UFC's rights and how the pay per views are massively outperforming, but the television ratings. The regular season stuff, people don't care about quite as much. In terms of whether these assets are going to be available for sale in the future, uh, I don't see Ari giving up UFC anytime soon or ever. It's a massive piece of the Endeavor business right now and one that's been successful. Um, Formula One, you know how uh, Liberty is. They are financially driven animals so if they could do something that monetizes it to the number that they believe in a tax effective way who knows and wwe as you pointed out earlier it comes down to vince and the family and what they want to do the reactions in the past on that i mean obviously there's the line out there we're open for business but it it seems and analysts talk to steph about this I think it was at the September analyst meeting. And you know, she she frankly said it would have to be like a 10 times higher um, price for them to actually part with the asset. As Vince gets older, who knows? But Steph has really, you know, you know, pushed in and um, taken a very, very senior role here. So what they're gonna do in the Vince sort of succession planning, I have no idea. I don't know what you think, guys. Yeah, I don't know about much about that succession plan. That sounds like definitely an interesting topic for us to to, to go into. But I do want to go back to this thought that Disney buying UFC. I mean, is that? I mean, I don't watch a lot of UFC, but the, what I've watched doesn't seem like a Disney branding type of thing. And then, of course, at the same time, you have a lot of this controversy around UFC in terms of what they pay people. So doesn't that set up for if Disney, if if Disney in fact did think about buying this, isn't there an opportunity for them just to create something competitive and pay the talent more money and just do it that way as opposed to buying them? I mean, I guess I guess the the problem is is you know what's if if you're going to air the programming, what's the difference between airing the programming and buying it, right? And I mean. Pamela and Tommy right. Lee is on Disney Plus Star in Europe. Like, I don't know. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't feel toward so, a- so you're fine with the content. That's fine. So let's say you want to get yes. in, you want to lean in even more and own it. Like, do you buy it or do you just potentially try and build it? And given that what the labor issues are that that may be it existing at UFC. I mean, look, I don't think you can buy it now. I think it's just the price tag is too high. I think the chance to buy it was in the past. Well, you could drive the, the price just, down by <laughs> by threatening to build something new. Yeah, but this is such an inc- this is such an important piece of their I mean, look, you're raising a great point. I could make a very you're right, Walt. Actually, that's a great way of thinking about it. ESPN will be fine without UFC, especially if they're gonna move everything over the top over the next few years. I think the question really should be reframed if you believe that there needs to be incremental content. If you could own W would owning WWE be better than continuing to license UFC? Cause you probably can't afford UFC now, but would you rather own WWE 
It would work better. It's more family programming. It's more general entertainment. It fits with the theme parks. Like you can't do UFC rides at Disney World, yep. but you could certainly do WWE stuff. Like, sir, I don't know. I think if there is a buyer of WWE, it's going to be NBC Universal. They're deeply in bed with them right now. They still have the pay per view until like, I think, summer of 2026, um, which is quite a long time from now. And the question is, do you, does Dis- how do you think Disney sees WWE content? I know you had a conversation with Christine about that. I mean, I don't think they view it as great content, I, you know, which is sort of funny because they certainly see UFC as great content. And I mean, obviously, one is truly a sport and one is entertainment. But I don't know. It just, you know, we've sort of talked about the creative difficulties of of WWE over the last few years, like you know, the storytelling has sort of not been what it was several years ago. Who's a better storyteller than Disney? Like if there was anybody who could take WWE storytelling to the next level and sort of infuse Vince with not only just tons of cash, but tons of, you know, creativity. I don't know. I mean, I just, I walk around Walt Disney world last week and I can't help but think like, why couldn't there be a section for WWE? And it just, it's family friendly and it just, you know, it fits with sort of, you know, the kind of blending of sports and media and content. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's so crazy. To, so idea. to go back to Brandon's. I don't think it's, cr- I don't think it's crazy at all. I agree with you, Rich. If the question is whether Disney ag- agrees or not. I know. I mean, well, uh, these characters, Chapek, I guess whether Bob Chapik does. I, these or, characters do have longevity. I mean, I still right. like if I see Hulk Hogan, that was when <laughs> I was really interested in wrestling. He is still Hulk Hogan. I don't know other than like Conor McGregor, who's had lasting power in the UFC that in 10 years from now, I'm going to think of. And that has like a character and a story really surrounding. I can see walking down that main street of Walt Disney world and seeing Hulk Hogan and kids are going running up to him. And then you see Conor McGregor, (laughs) like (laughs) people running away. I I don't (laughs) maybe put him Uh, in pirates of the Caribbean. All right. What's next? Well, speaking speaking of walking Connor down Main will be Street, walking around no, like no. after his last DUI with a baseball bat in his hand. Right. Walt, Walt, perfect segue into our next slide, which is Disney Parks tweeting out: "Are you a Disney Plus subscriber for the first time? You can save on a Walt Disney World Resort stay. Select nights between July and September. Obviously, September gets into their quieter period. What's interesting is there's never been a benefit." Um, outside of being a subscriber to Disney Plus, there's never been a benefit beyond that within the Disney empire. And we, you know, early on, there was lots of speculation of like, would would Disney Plus essentially be sort of like in everything, morph into something, everything Disney? I don't know if there's a lot of Disney World guests right now who are not Disney Plus subscribers. So I don't know if this is driving Disney Plus membership. I don't think it is, but it's just an interesting way of tying the the overall company together. Is this just going to be a markup, markdown? Because it doesn't seem to me like, based on your description of your visit to the parks a week or so ago, that they could have, oh, yeah. they should giving any type of discount. So this is like, okay, Disney Plus customer that pays us whatever 10, 15 bucks a month. If that, you know, maybe it's through their Verizon bill. We're just gonna, we're, we're going to give you five dollars off your thirty dollar Coca Cola that you're drinking in the park. I mean, what? Yeah, I mean, remember, September is a slow period. So this goes through September 30th. So my guess is this is like kids go back to school, colleges start, right? Visitation starts to slow. Are in there August slow periods September. at September? Really? I mean, you want to do a site visit in September? 
Actually, I do. I think I'm planning to do the Star Wars stuff with my friends in September. So I will be, I'll be do. Can I put that on the, on the company, Rich? <laughs> I was sort of underwhelmed by Star Wars and I'm a big Star Wars. I was very underwhelmed relative to Avatar. Avatar was so much better ride wise than hmm. Star Wars. Avatar was the best ride in the entire park. Wow. Did it twice. Incredible. Yeah, that is a great ride. I've been on that one. Best ride in the park. Um, let's move on to, um, a fun subject of Fubo TV now raising price to seventy dollars on May first, but that's stop. Before, I know you're going to say sixty nine ninety nine. I know. No, that's not what, what I thought you were going to like footnote me on sixty nine ninety nine. Why would I start, start? Dude, the best Fubo related thing that happened this week was when we walk into Milos, and who is there? David Gandler and Rich went up to him and actually spoke to him. How did that go, Rich? I said, hello. He said, <laughs> hello. I said, we should get together. Um, it was weird. I said, we should get together. And he said, did you see Michael Nathanson's video? And I was like, why <laughs> you, is he? Yeah, he goes, he was on CNBC talking about bundling. Um, and I was, you know, basically he was talking about, I guess, bundling streaming services. And so I guess the implication is Fubo thinks they're going to bundle all the streaming services together, which they're clearly not. They're a linear TV bundler that is losing money. And the reason the stock keeps falling, and we probably shouldn't have upgraded it to neutral, but the, the stock keeps falling because the challenge now is they need to raise capital. If they can't raise capital, it's actually going to be a zero. Um, and raising pricing, I don't think it's going to help their subscriber trends over the course of the next couple of months. And they've raised pricing a lot. I mean, the pricing has gone up a lot over the last few years. Se this was 70 bucks now. I mean, <sighs> that's before the RSN surcharge, 75 in New York City, Brandon. Yeah. So there's really absolutely no advantage economically to using Fubo versus any, any other um, service at this point. Well, and remember, it's the sports streaming bundle and it doesn't have March Madness. So just you couldn't Rich, watch the final four on Fubo. Does David Gandler have more stroke at Milos than you? Because I, I noticed that he sat <laughs> no, up back to Milos and, and we got yeah. sent to a basement of Milos that I didn't even know existed, but we were basically in the basement. It was, of Milos. yeah, that was bad. So what, how did that, how did that happen? Rich? I mean, how, Brandon, why is Gandler? Brandon booked the reservation. Not I made the reservation and I, one. and I have no stroke as you know. Okay. Next if time we, we need to be, I, I want to be in that glass box next time. Oh, the one up top. Yes. Um, uh, Christine, but, by the way, but before you go on, Gandler did tweet at you. Good seeing you. Yeah. I mean, look, so why, don't, why doesn't he come on Light Shed Live? We all know to have him on Light Shed Live. We'd love him to have on Light Shed Live and debate the future of the company. We would love that. Okay. We'll see. Let's see if well, he responds. We could, we, we could record it. In the in the glass box at Milos in Midtown, and we can bring it full I circle. That. I love that. Although it's still pretty noisy when you're in there, but anyway, go on. Christina Criddle has a story. Creators have complained. This is an FT story. Creators have complained they are being paid less per view for Reels on Instagram as the platform competes with TikTok to manage monetize short form video. This is pretty interesting, right? Because the entire future of of Meta. You know, obviously the whole future of Meta is based on the metaverse, obviously, but the, the short term performance of the stock is going to be based on how does Reels perform? How does Reels recapture time or improve time spent? How does Reels start to monetize? And stories like that in the FT talking about creators seeing payments fall and being discouraged certainly doesn't help when I still think that the creativity 
of TikTok is still dramatically above where Reels is. And, you know, I don't know. It just, it definitely just, doesn't, doesn't get you excited. Aren't they just going to create the same content and then just push it out over the multiple distribution channels? So if, if Reels is paying you less than like, it's not like you're not going to put that stuff. You will certainly develop content specifically for the places like TikTok that are better <laughs> and probably and potentially pay you more or YouTube, obviously, that pays you the most. Um, but like, and I think you'll post more. I mean, I still think you'll be maybe you post there first, right? Like, where do you post first? Where is the original story get, you know, where does it get traction? Um, where do you do, you know, do you go live on TikTok and not live? I mean, you have choices of where you spend your time and you're probably going to spend your time as a creator where you monetize best. Sure. And in, but that was happening. Much- that was even if, so the only way that Zuck could have changed that is to pay even more. So if, if you're just going to pay the same rate, right. And by the way, even if you pay more, you're still not going to do it. Cause it's like, it's just not as good. Right. So well, maybe the, there's just like, the maybe, maybe they're just acknowledging that what they are. And they're saying like, look, if we're not the best, but we're still going to get some flow, then we might as well make some better margin on it. I don't know. Thoughts, Brandon? I just think it's interesting. Uh, One of the big advantages that Facebook has is their balance sheet and the ability to invest. They're investing $10 billion in the metaverse. And now they've decided to cut back on paying content creators in an area that's undergoing a lot of competitive pressure. It's a very interesting strategic decision in my view. You're basically saying, why are they not fuddled by, why are they not massively overpaying creators on reels? Like massively overpaying to take share. Like the only only reason would be is if they needed to cut costs. And despite the headwinds that are out there and well-known at this point, I don't think they're hurting for dollars. They right. generate billions and billions of dollars of free cash flow. Maybe instead of investing 10B in the metaverse, you do like nine and you give a B over to creators to get to get the reels product really moving. Unless you think you're not getting a return, meaning that like you're paying them up, but they're still gonna create content for TikTok first and, and yeah. focus their maybe maybe they just realize they're just not gonna be able to compete. I, That's I don't really depressing I, though. I don't get it. It it is just a very, very strange and unexpected decision out of them. And Zuck is strategically, you know, generally pretty sound in terms of the chess pieces. So what what, what is that? Where did that tweet come from? Is this an actual decision or just speculate? Is this well, a no, Josh Cosman story? It, it was no, this was F, FT talking to creators oh, okay. who've seen their payments fall precipitously right, in recent legit, weeks. Though. So I, again, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, last slide, Walt. We've got a little masa. Oh, to finish off episode 101, we're back to Masayoshi-san. And this comes from FT Reporter, um, who has been amazing on uh, reporting on SoftBank for all these years, Arash Masudi. Ash, Akshay Neheta, a former DB trader, Deutsche Bank, and mastermind of the very controversial wildcard bet is no longer at SoftBank. So another person... Uh, gone from SoftBank, of course, you know, the key people are still there. The SoftBank hedge fund unit he ran, best known for the NASDAQ whale trade, is being liquidating, liquidated. It lost six to seven billion. <laughs> Bottom line, though, is Masa was the primary. And if you read the story, Masa was the primary driver of these trades. And he personally, I think, had his own money in there. And there's been reports about that's why they want to sell other assets because he's worried about 
margin calls and things like that. I mean, these again are reports in Financial Times and other places, but you know, here we are at SoftBank. Always, always good to deliver, a, whether it's Elon or SoftBank. Actually, Elon and SoftBank in one week is pretty good, but I guess that's that's you know the way it goes. I mean, you always like having Masa at the end. We haven't had him in quite a while. I mean, we don't have any of those Valley of the Unicorns anymore, which I still miss those slides, but it's always a nice. <laughs> well, they've way to completely end. kicked me off of their specific U.S. call. What so, do you mean? They don't send you the number? No, no they're just like they're the uh, they're circling the Yellowstone wagons. And, un- <laughs> and unlike Disney, I assume twenty three dollars U.S. But, but I assume, unlike Disney, there's no chance Masa's going to get removed. So you won't get a welcome back handshake like I got from Chapin. No. And one other note on SoftBank, Rich. Um, I just want to reemphasize one thing first. We crashed. Amazing. You have to watch it. Conversely, um, Apple gave me one episode of um, Super Pump, which is about Travis Kalanick and Uber. Yep. Terrible. And I've talked to people at Uber that that have been at Uber that knew Travis personally. Terrible acting. The writing with Mike Isaac from the New York Times, I think he's a great this writer. This is on Apple TV Plus? No, no, this is on Showtime. Oh, Showtime. This is a Showtime show. We pump. Uh, you know, I get on here often and recommend shows to people. And hopefully and I've gotten good feedback for those of you that watch like Ted Lasso, for example. Here's one to avoid. Do not watch Super Pump because it is not good. And Brandon, what are you watching that you love? You know I'm watching Severance, so I more know. Apple. Um, I'm more Apple. That's episode, a theme on this show. It's uh, a theme. Episode seven, but I'm pretty engrossed in it. It's yeah, it's yeah. good. I watched like an episode in the middle of the night when I like woke up the other night. It was pretty awesome. Everyone's watching Apple That's TV how into Plus, it I am. and no one's talking about it enough in the investment world. All right, let's let's hear this. Let's pump it. Who is this, Brandon? What are we listening it's, to? It's Wet Leg. On the chaise lounge on the chaise. <laughs> Is it a chase lounge? A chaise lounge? I never knew how to quite pronounce it. And the, the song is called Chaise Lounge. Yeah, but is it chaise, chaise, or chaise? Chaise lounges are very expensive, by the way. What with the. Yeah, but if you're a rock star, you can afford one. Walt, enjoy your trip overseas. We look forward to doing a podcast with you uh, from a castle, I think. Wherever Lovely. Brilliant. Lovely. That's episode 101. Go Liverpool. See you next week. Stay, 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 stay.